I think we maybe need to rethink resilience now. Teams sort of opened this window into people's homes that we had never had before. And the situation forced us all to be more open about what life is like for us at home and how we were coping. So I feel as though I really know people better now than I did before. I've definitely seen as we've moved to hybrid that there are new challenges around that. As Leah says, managing contribution in the room versus um, managing those who are dialing in remotely. Talent attraction and retention is certainly becoming a hot topic for us. Balancing the needs of customers, for business, for team and, and the individual and that's certainly been a lens that we've used uh, within Lloyds Banking Group. Hello and welcome to our new episode of Risk and Regulation Unraveled, our Grant Thornton's Financial Services podcast. I'm Irina Valkova, your regular host, and I bring to you conversations about the dynamic world of risk and regulation. We help our financial services clients understand new regulatory developments, upcoming changes, and how to stay ahead of the regulatory curve by inviting renowned experts to share their insights. The last two years have brought upon all of us a myriad of challenges. Beyond personal struggles and losses, homeschooling and isolation, Across the globe, suddenly billions of workers had to shift to remote working literally overnight. This in itself could be described as the most unprecedented in scale, whilst also not coordinated, transformational change that we have ever seen. As we are emerging from two years of remote working and hopefully never returning to the use of the word lockdown, businesses all over the world are yet facing another large transformational challenge, namely entering the era of hybrid working. And this one is here to stay. So the big question we are all grappling with is how to make it work for everyone. To discuss how businesses are adapting to the new ways of working, what are the lessons learned from the last two years and what the future of work will look like in the mid to long term, I have invited three guests who were at the eye of the storm, so to speak, in the last couple of years and had to deal with operational challenges caused by COVID on a daily basis. It is my pleasure to first welcome Andre Katz. Andre is Lloyds Banking's Group's Risk Director for Operational Resilience, covering people, property, cybersecurity and supplier risks. Prior to that, he was Director of Risk at BT and has held similar roles in retail and government. He is also non-executive director of the Criminal Cases Review Commission. Welcome to the podcast, Andre. Bye, Irina. We are also joined by Susan Angie. Susan is the Head of Delegated Underwriting Management at Bridge Insurance. She's part of BRIT's operations leadership team and responsible for oversight of BRIT's coverholder distribution network, which is spread across the globe. Susan has managed teams in London and abroad and is absolutely ideally placed to share her experience of remote and hybrid working. Great to have you with us, Susan. Hi, thanks for having me. And to share the observations from our own work that we've been doing on remote working, I have also invited Adrian Simpson, who is part of our people and culture advisory team. Adrian has over 27 years international experience in investment banking, business development, HR, people and culture and change initiatives. Prior to joining Grant Thornton, Adrian was a business risk consultant within compliance transformation for HSBC, following a chief of staff role within a global HR and people change program. Thank you very much for joining us today, Adrian. Thanks, Irene. Thank you. Right, before we dive into the conversation, where am I finding you Or Are you still predominantly working from home or you have already returned to the office? 
We have returned to the office now at Brit. Um, we are working on a 50-50 um, sort of scenario. So we spend uh, five days a fortnight in the office. That's quite flexible. We can choose our days. Um, so that's where we're at. How about you, Andrew? Yeah, so I started moving to hybrid working during my second half of last year and then Omicron rudely struck. So that derailed plans a little bit. But um, our official kind of return to new ways of working is the 1st of March, but we're already, many of us are combining office and homework and I'm at home today living that hybrid working. Oh, excellent. And I know about our policy, AG, and um, we, we are kind of very flexible, one to four days. So what do you normally do? How many days are you back at work? Yeah, thanks, Irene. Yeah, so I'm I'm still working from home. I'm uh, typically uh, going for a one day a week into the office. Um, I live in the uh, in the middle of the country, so uh, travelling into London uh, once a week will be yeah enough to start with as we transition through. Indeed, uh, absolutely. Since we are all cracking up with this hybrid working thing, but before we get into the future of work, if you like, I guess looking back into into the last two years. What do you think were the biggest challenges that your organisations and you personally had to tackle uh, from an operational point of view, if you like? And, and what do you think were the lessons that we learned from all this? Andrea, maybe starting with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought your introduction was spot on, actually, Irina. I mean, just for speed and scale of transformation, I think any organisation, I mean, I'm not sure anyone would have attempted it in the way we did, but um you know that sort of big experiment of everyone overnight working from home you'd have planned it you'd have piloted it you'd have had some formal lessons learned opportunities instead we just had to pile straight in we had to embrace new technology at the same time um and i think it's an incredible challenge for all organizations and you know, i suppose a point of reflection is just how well organizations did cope with that and embrace that um we've had to learn new behaviors you know the idea of putting my hand up on teams um feels a bit like the equivalent of a school classroom doesn't it now uh, but actually it's become such a great way of working um and i think you know as we sort of also had to learn was points of how we work together how we maintain connectivity when we're not in a room um a lot of us sort of piled into quizzes and um, sort of forced fun if you like um, but actually it was important to make sure that we've maintained that connectivity with each other and as teams i think what we saw over time were challenges around that and maybe specific points of interaction so new joiners in particular i was fortunate to have joined lloyd's just three or four months before covid struck but i think for those um, people who join new organizations whilst everyone's working from home that's that's difficult that's really difficult um, certain things like interviews, I think we found a bit harder as well and probably a bit more unnerving from a poor candidate. So I think some specific learnings, but probably the biggest reflection is just how well organisations manage that overnight transition. Yeah, it's impressive how adaptable human beings are as well, isn't it? It's just absolutely fascinated me. How about your experience, Susan? Yeah, I was really interested in what Andre was saying there about that overnight transition. And, and while it was an overnight transition to start with, I think we learnt as we went along. Uh, you know, I think particularly as managers, as senior people in organisations needing to make decisions in a time of, you know, real uncertainty, uh, but also maybe from a position of not ever having really understood uh, your team and maybe the working environments that they have at home, the challenge, you know, we just uh, 
found people facing a whole set of challenges that we never expected. Um, you know, maybe uh, younger members of the team in shared accommodation, having to work from bedrooms and, uh, and not being able to uh, necessarily provide them um, with as many options as, as we maybe would like uh, initially to start with. You know, I think we really had to listen, uh, you know, and I think we did listen and did adapt uh, as we went along. Yeah, no, fantastic. It sounds like we've all been actually grappling with the same challenges as well, frankly, particularly when it comes to new joiners. I was doing a set of interviews, I do remember, pretty much at the start of the pandemic, and it was very different. It was very different as well to kind of feel the people and how they fit in your culture, for example, but then all the all the challenges that come along with, um, with that no direct interaction with people physically. Um, what's been your kind of impression, Ichi, and from the work we've been doing with clients and of course internally at GT. Yeah, no, absolutely, um, Irene. I think picking up on your uh, on your point about maintaining culture, I think within a, a fragmented workforce where you've got everyone, you know, in their own homes, uh, that that's been quite a challenge for for businesses. I think. I also think um, the role of the people manager has massively changed. I think from it, it almost went overnight, uh, although that there was, a, as Susan says, lessons learned along the way. But it almost went from that that uh, performance and uh, kind of development people manager into someone who was responsible for pastoral care, for spotting those signs of well-being, for um, you know really understanding the individual as the person themselves. Um, and I think that was um, a, a new learning curve and, and requires support for the line manager as well. OK, we, we're painting a bit of a difficult and grim picture here. I, I, I kind of want to shift the conversation to probably the positive side of it, potentially. Um, are we coming of all this experiment, as, as Andrew called it, more resilient as, as organisations and individuals now that we're hopefully, hopefully at the end of this um, COVID-dominated era? maybe starting with using this time. So yeah, absolutely. I think as organisations, we are coming out of the pandemic more resilient than we were before, and perhaps more assured of our own resilience. I know pre-pandemic, we like lots of other businesses had business continuity plans. I don't know if we ever really expected us ourselves to be able to cope as well as we did. You know, I think we did an amazing job. Uh, we were largely business as usual in terms of all of the services that, that we provide. Uh, and I think that's a great credit to ourselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I certainly think lots of uh, business continuity plans had been tested here. <laughs> and I'm sure Andrew has had first-hand experience with that as well. But uh, just perhaps going to the um, organisational resilience point of view, because I knew Aegean, that's quite a lot around that. What, what's been your kind of observation, if you like, from firms? Yeah, I think I think the successful firms are, are, are really um, have been um, prepared for the adversity and, and yet proactive and flexible in when when they've gone into this crisis. I think um, we've seen a lot of demonstration of resilience through the effective teamwork and um, the provision of training. Um, as I, as I sort of touched upon in the previous point around that whole psychological capital. So I think I think there's been some very positive things that have come out of it. And I think that um, from an organisational standpoint, um, I think that, um, you know, we've we've done something, you know, some real positives. Andrew. I mean, I, I, I guess in, you know, joining this podcast, I was reflecting that had we all got together back in 
the summer of 2019 and speculated what would happen to our organisations and the wider economy had um, COVID happened. I don't think in our wildest dreams we'd have predicted that so many organisations would have stood up so well. Um, so I think there's definitely a really positive takeaway there. I mean, I think your question in terms of are we more resilient for me throws up a couple of couple of thoughts really. One is I think we maybe need to rethink resilience now as a concept. So again, going back three years ago, had we been having the same conversation, we'd all have thought if we've got multiple locations of the same process, we'd have been fine, right? You know, particularly if we're in different countries. Well, that didn't prove to be the case, did it, pretty quickly. Um, and I think it's changed maybe how we think about physical locations and resilience. The other piece for me as well is around the fact that we're different organisations now than we were. Um, and that's going to have implications as well in terms of how we think about risk, resilience and oversight going forward. Yeah, I've been leading you almost towards organisational resilience, um, deliberately kind of, but how about our emotional resilience? Where are we like on individual, like individuals? I mean, is there something to be said on that front? I think that's a really good point, uh, Irina, is that, you know, absolutely as organisations, we are resilient. Uh, me personally, I think uh, probably reached uh, about the uh, the end of what I can kind of tolerate in terms of lockdowns and, and all of that kind of disruption and just the, you know, I guess additional sort of pressure that that brings to, you know, to your work uh, and being in front of a screen all day every day you know and I suspect many people are are quite the same so you know I think that it's really important that we recognize that desire now for people to reconnect uh, in the office uh, and that it may not just be about the the tasks that we need to complete that are better face to face but that people just want to see and connect with each other again. Yeah, and I can see uh, Andrew and, and Idine absolutely nodding here. So um, that sounds like the hybrid working thing should work, hopefully. So where to you now from here? Um, how how do we even start making a hybrid work a hybrid working success? Uh, I think that during COVID, people had a real opportunity to experience and. Um, you know, maybe visualise a life that uh, didn't involve coming into the office uh, five days a week. So although the pandemic was incredibly difficult, we did get an opportunity to do things that we couldn't do before. You know, people were able to uh, pick up their children, drop off their children at school. They were able to exercise at lunchtime. They were able to spend you know, perhaps more time doing some things that they wanted to be doing when they didn't have a commute. And so now I think having had the opportunity to do some of that people are you know understandably asking why they can't continue that at least in some form or other and so I think uh, it's about giving people that opportunity to keep the things that they liked uh, but also finding that balance between spending time in the office for tasks that really require it but also just for that kind of maintaining connections and culture. Yeah, no, that sounds exactly like the, the right approach going forward. What's your kind of approach in Lloyd, Andrew? And I think as Susan's laid out, it's really started with thinking about why why we go into the office at all. Um, and it very quickly talks us towards 
collaboration and the power of being together. So I think where we've ended up with Lloyd's is actually almost an activity-led approach where coming to the office should have a purpose. And by the way, that purpose can just be connecting with others. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific meeting. That connectivity has definitely been proven important over time. Um, and we've also thought of business travel. We've got a nice little uh, guide for colleagues now. We talk about the three Ps. Um, so it should be planned, purposeful and planet friendly. Um, <laughs> and it's just a nice little kind of you know lens through which you can think about your time. Um, I think it also just building maybe a little bit around the office. As we start to think about more why we come into the office, I think that also maybe guides us to think about how we should plan and design our offices as well. And thinking about the flexibility um, of space that you're going to need, be it for a big uh, roundtable discussion, be it for a one-to-one -one catch up or um, a bit of a hot desk where you've got a gap in between meetings. So I think it's um, a combination really of thinking about why we use the office um, and then making sure that the office is best set up to meet that need. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely resonating with me, having spent a few days in the office last week and having these struggles personally. But I guess the one question a lot of our, I'm sure, listeners and clients are struggling with is trying to get to the answer of what's what's the what's the recipe here? What's a healthy approach? Do we need to mandate certain days in the office? Do we need to mandate a certain day in the week to be in the office for teams? I don't know. Is there like a golden rule that we've managed to get to already? <laughs> Andrew? I mean, look, it's a brilliant question, isn't it? And it's clearly one that we're all still learning on and grappling with. We've seen different approaches by different organisations from, uh, you know, we're all going back to the office five days through to you're going to be in on a Monday and a Thursday through to it's up to the colleague through to, you know, we're home working forever now. Um, I think what I learned from my if you like experiment days pre-Christmas was actually I had this wonderful idealistically in mind that I would have a collaboration day. I'd turn up in the office and I'd be nine to five, actively engaging with colleagues. Um, actually, the reality of sort of working life then kicks in. And I think what I've learned is that, you know, you're probably not going to quite have the perfect day like that. Um, it's probably going to be a balance and I'm going to have to then have best to hit that balance and make sure that those around me can um, can engage with me as well. Um, I think it's not just about coordination within my own team, it's probably also coordination with other teams as well. I think that's the point where connectivity has been challenged through COVID. So um, probably too early to call that, Irene, in my view. Um, but it's great that different organisations are having different approaches because I think it gives us the opportunity to learn from each other. Susan? Yeah, I think I absolutely agree with what Andre is saying. I think we need to learn as we go. I think that people in our teams would love us as managers and leaders to have an answer for them and to say, if we do it this way, it will work. Um, and the fact is, we we just don't have that. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that there is a right answer. You know, different teams, different organisations will have different ways of working, different priorities. And, you know, it probably is a little bit of trial and error. Uh, I don't think that it's even necessarily possible to design the perfect solution because there are too many different variables. Even just working across 
all the different teams that my team interacts with, you know, within Brit, it would be almost impossible to align our days so that we had the perfect combination of spending time with all of our different stakeholders. So I think we just have to see how things go a little bit. My personal approach is to I trust people to figure that out for themselves largely. Uh, you know, people, I think, in my career experience will generally organize themselves in a way that is best for them, best for their stakeholders, best for their customers uh, in quite a natural way. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, certainly. And I think you're right. We will have to find a way as we go along. But what we're seeing in some of our clients as well as to what they're doing, AJ, and I know I'm not going to quote names, but certain banks have mandated five days a week, certain have mandated three weeks, for example. What What's the kind of ratio, if you like? Yeah, we're, we're certainly seeing every possible permutation of, 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 of all of that. Um, I think, um, you know, to both Andre and Susan's points, you know, the FCA have said that um, it's important to put in place an appropriate culture and maintain it within the remote working environment. Um, I think there's a couple of things for me. I think there's obviously the practical logistics of maintaining office space and, and creating a space that is purposeful, be it collaborative or, or otherwise. But I also think it comes down to that whole piece of um, a, a mindset shift from leadership. So moving away from that kind of command and control and being able to see people uh, to, to more of a consultative um, and encouragement of innovation and, and directive um, and, and, you know, the, the sharing of, a, of a, a belief in a shared agenda. So I think, uh, yeah, that's what we're seeing from, from clients. Absolutely, and it sounds about right from what I hear as well, definitely, in my conversations. And um, I guess the, the other very important component that would um, play a key role in hybrid working, as it did in remote working, is, is technology. Are we going to now rely even more on technology as we go into hybrid working, on, or actually less, given that we return back to somewhat physical interactions? And I guess links to that, there is a question along um, along the lines of how well advanced is um, actually collaboration technology and tools that we can use to make that interactive connectivity? So, I mean, I think certainly from my perspective, Irene, um, I think the, the likelihood is that very many interactions are going to happen with at least some of the participants not being in the room. So um, I think collaboration tools are here to stay. Um, and even actually if an organisation is in the office five days a week, they'll be engaging with colleagues in different sites um, and those colleagues are going to expect to have collaboration tools that have moved on from the old conference calls that we were all working with previously. And actually there's been some great tools that have emerged um, through that time and and then we're trialing things like Teams whiteboards as an example of new tech that might support collaboration in quite a sort of exciting innovative way. I guess the, the question around you know how well those tools will support the journey I mean they're going to have to develop too. I know many of us when we first uh, found ourselves working from home were finding that some of our devices were struggling to keep with the uh, keep up with the demands of being always on video calls and getting hot enough to actually kind of heat us without any need for radiators. Um, 
I think we're going to see more innovation in this space. I think it will keep up with the way people are working. Um, but the challenge will be that those tools need to cope with the scale that they're going to be used because they're going to be adopted by every organisation now. Yeah, and it's certainly how we learn to use the technology as well, because we I was in a meeting with the regulator on Friday in the office where we had some really clever technology to use, you know, camera that is spinning around you and we just couldn't make it work. And it turned out after the meeting that we just haven't plugged it in. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just how we actually use that to using this technology in this kind of new environment. Um, what, what's your views here as, as to as to collaboration tools and, and technology more broadly? So I think, Irina, you point out that there are some really sophisticated tools already out there in the market. Um, but for the absolute most part, you know, everyone's been using Teams and Zoom and that seems to work uh, OK. Although my personal view is that Zoom calls are a bit of a, uh, you know, a poor cousin to face to face interaction, certainly for some types of um, meetings. But with that um, much more advanced technology, I think you're limited by whoever has the least advanced uh, tech in a particular situation. You know, that type of virtual reality won't work if some people have it and other people are still uh, on Teams. So I think for that reason, things like Zoom and Teams are really here to stay because they're so widely accessible. You know, most people have access to them and so they they form that kind of common denominator across um, lots of different organisations. Um, and I think, you know, to Andre's point, those types of, uh, you know, online meetings absolutely are here to stay in hybrid working, you know, in my experience back in the office, I've had those types of Teams calls every day because not everyone is in the office at the same time. And to Andre's earlier point, it's almost impossible to organise your day such that your office days will only have face to face meetings. And you know, that's just not realistic. And it was never such well organised even before the pandemic. Let's let's face it. So I think exactly. we'll just probably have to be on that. Yeah, exactly. I guess the other very important aspect of the whole hybrid working thing, alongside the clever use of technology, when you can use it and you plug it, <laughs> and, and physical spaces, of course, and how we use those is is along the lines of behaviours. And I guess an you know, inevitable question to ask ourselves is what kind of behaviours we probably have to learn now that we go back to somewhat of a hybrid version and, and what kind of behaviours we need to learn again. And, and maybe Adrian, because I know that it's a subject really close to your heart. Yeah, we're, we're, we're certainly seeing from, from dealing with our clients, we're seeing um, several of them um, issuing uh, official meetings etiquette. Um, and, um, you know, that's not to say that that wasn't required before COVID. I mean, I'm sure there was meetings etiquette before um, and, and you shouldn't use your mobile phone during a meeting and all the rest of it. But um, but no, we're definitely seeing um, meetings etiquette kind of guidelines being issued so that um, the, and and also the um, the skill of the chair to be able to bring in people both in the room and online to make sure that there's that full inclusion um, that you're getting, you know, all of those, all of that um, richness from from the participation um that's a real skill um yeah certainly and and andre what what's your view as to you and what your experience has been probably along these lines of are people chairing meetings now better than before yeah i mean look i think she makes a great point doesn't she we all remember being on the end of conference calls earlier where everyone else is in a room you're on the phone 
you've no idea how your point is landing. You don't know how you're going to be able to speak because there's no obvious gap in the conversation. And then all of a sudden Teams comes along and Zoom comes along, you can put your hand up. It's all much easier to structure. I've definitely seen as we've moved to hybrid that there are new challenges around that. And as Lian says, managing contribution in the room versus um, managing those who are dialing in remotely, um, managing sidebar conversations, because actually it can be really off-putting to get the background noise. But of course, that's always been a part of meeting culture. So I think we do need to learn that. I think probably the other behaviour we'll have to learn around hybrid working is actually just being conscious of other people's time because um, I'm thoughtful we've all seen our days elongate through COVID and now you know think nothing about having early morning or slightly later in the evening meetings. Um, maybe that's okay when we're all at home but actually if I'm in the office and I've got my hour plus journey um, and I want to come home um, I'm going to have a very different view around having those uh, those meetings. So I guess being respectful of others' time and trying to find a way where actually we don't um, all end up sort of working even even longer hours um, as a result of having to factor in commutes, et cetera, um, is going to be key for the wellbeing and resilience reasons you called out earlier. Yeah, no, certainly. I think we certainly have learned not to forget that people have a dialing in conversation. I reckon this is a behaviour we should uh, we should keep going forward. What, what's your view, Susan? So I think Ajia made a really interesting point about meeting etiquette and needing to maybe um, adapt uh, guidelines. But I've definitely worked in organisations that had formal meeting etiquette guidelines pre-COVID. So, you know, meeting etiquette has always been an issue and I think will remain an issue, uh, maybe slightly nuanced uh, in a hybrid working scenario, although perhaps not as much as you would think. You know, one of the things that used to come up time and time again, you know, over the course of my career is these conversations that happen just outside the meeting room and to Andre's point about people having sort of sidebar conversations uh, when they're in the office together and everyone else is on teams that um, concern that people have that conversations are going on without them uh, was happening pre-COVID and will probably continue to happen it you know it's a much wider point of etiquette that we all need to be uh, conscious of uh, one of the things, uh, again, to Andre's point about being able to put up your hand and things like that, I found that some meetings are actually probably more inclusive uh, when we have some or, or all of the people on teams, because whereas we used to have, say, the majority of people in the office and one or two maybe in a different location uh, dialing in, uh, when a lot of people are on teams, um, you know, that ability to put your hand up and get your points across uh, didn't really used to exist, especially on a, a conference call where people couldn't really see that uh, you wanted to make a point. So uh, meeting etiquette, it was a problem before, it will be a problem in future and uh, something that we need to, I guess, just continue to be conscious of. And as you as you said before, we will have to learn as we go as well, and that is definitely valid for behaviours too. So we will see what kind of serves everyone best. I guess on a on a slightly um, different aspect or point, if you like, with with this kind of new way of working, the so-called hybrid working. I don't know what we're going to call it in five years' time, but so for now, is hybrid working. I suspect there would be new risks arising in all sorts of different areas. And I, I guess the question here is from from a 
an oversight point of view, for example, Susan, and, and from the work you do, because obviously lots of your distribution network is, is global. How do you think that is going to impact, as in like this kind of mixed hybrid working? Do you think this creates further risks for your organisation and, and for your personal journey, or you think it's very much similar to what it used to be before? So I think that overall, we're definitely more resilient um, to risk, but I'm sure there are new types of risks that are introduced with this hybrid model. I think that, uh, you know, particularly in the area that I work in at the moment, as you said, our distribution network is global. We regularly audit um, our distributors that used to happen physically uh, during COVID it happened remotely and I think it's important to remember that uh, whilst it might be um, tempting for lots of different operational reasons to want to move to a completely remote um, you know oversight model we do lose something when we don't go and see people face to face and experience the culture that's happening in their offices and their organizations so um, yeah I think it's just really important to consider the non-cost, non-operational factors that we might lose from being completely remote. And Andrew, with your risk cat, if you like, given given your background and profile, what, what kind of what kind of risks do you perceive to be there in this hybrid working environment? I mean, I think probably the ones that are at the forefront of my mind are probably around security and privacy. Um, I guess over the last couple of years, you know, you've had people who are working solely at home and um, all of a sudden we're introducing hybrid and actually we've now got you know tens of thousands of uh, of workers traveling in with laptops potentially with pieces of paper printed off in the office which are now bringing home or vice versa um, potentially taking calls on the go you know we talked earlier about some of the challenges of tagging on meetings at the end of the day well one way to keep my day short might be to take that last call on the train um, and I think there's uh, there will definitely be missteps across organisations where actually security will be compromised and I, I expect there'll be people out there already actively looking to take advantage of that. So I think there's definitely a, a cultural journey to be one there. I think the other one I definitely agree with um, with Susan actually. In the, in the old days we could easily turn up at a supplier site, see how everything's being conducted, do an inspection there and come away with a high degree of assurance. But now we may well turn up in that location and half the people aren't there. They're working at home, they're working in satellite offices. So we need to think about the way that uh, that we get assurance and comfort in the way operations are conducted. Yeah, certainly. I, I certainly see, see there is a um, cyber kind of increased cyber risk as well, given how much we do now digitally and it's already been proven, but I, I, I reckon we only see more of that, unfortunately. So perhaps organisations need to start thinking of um, increasing their mitigating controls and putting even more measures in place. Um, I, I guess, Adrian, from, from your point of view, I'm sure we can talk about people risk as well, but what, what do you see as, as key developing risks? Yeah, I, th I think I think from what we're seeing is um, at the risk of the fragmented culture. If you've got some people in the office, some people not, um, that whole employee engagement, um, and uh, and that leads on to kind of a reputational risk as well. Um, and and um, together with that, 
in the kind of people space, you've also got the risk of talent attraction and retention. And, and that's a that's a really hot topic at the moment um, because of um, the complacency over the last couple of years of employ employers uh, not looking to to bolster their their talent over the last couple of years. But as we move back into the hybrid working space, talent attraction and retention is um, is certainly be, uh, becoming um, a hot topic for us. Um, yeah. It's an interesting you say that because I was um, in, a, in a conversation with our head of financial services um, group yesterday and we were talking about what are the hot topics um, going forward for 2022 and he started with talent and I was like wow okay so that's an interesting perspective that I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought this is the number one thing but actually it is in a way um, so yeah absolutely great insight there and I guess on a bit of a more speculative note if you had a crystal ball for example in your hands how would you imagine the future of work looks like in say i don't know five years time ten years time say say, say mid to longer term susan maybe <laughs> so uh, that's a really interesting question i'm sure lots of people have lots of different views on it i don't personally think that we're going to find ourselves in a you know highly remote uh, you know, everyone working from home scenario that has maybe been predicted by others. I think COVID has proved the need that people have for personal connection and how much they want to spend time with their colleagues. So what I think you'll see is organisations approach to hybrid working, probably defining them in a way that it hasn't before. So employees and candidates you know, expecting organisations to be very clear about their approach, but maybe also making choices based on, uh, you know, what is going to suit them best. I don't think there's necessarily any right answer, um, but candidates and employees probably will um, factor that into their decision making in a way that they haven't uh, before. And certainly that's feedback that I'm getting uh, from some of our US distributors, for example. They're telling me very clearly that what they're offering in terms of office or remote working uh, has a huge impact on how many candidates they're getting for their open roles. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think this is going to be the norm going forward. Uh, what is your view, Andre? Where are you coming from on that? I, mean, I think Susan talked earlier about balancing the needs of customers for business, for team and, and the individual. And that's certainly um, been a lens that we've used uh, within Lloyds Banking Group to try to identify individual colleagues' work styles going forward. And I think the reality is that people's experience will differ depending on the roles that they do. We've seen that through the pandemic. There's some colleagues who were going into a physical place of work every day because that's the only way they can do their role. And, and there will be jobs that require that. Um, there are others that don't, and that's where we're going to get the flavour of different working arrangements. But I think in that regard for that population, I do think the genie's at the bottom. Now. I think the idea that everyone has to be in five days a week in the office is no longer going to be the default. And, and Susan's hit the nail on the head. It is going to be a factor in people's decisions, both the companies they work for and the roles that they want to do, and there'll be people who want to be surrounded by others, and, and they're going to gravitate towards that. Um, they're going to be those who want to have maximum flexibility and they're going to look for organisations that offer that. So I think there's definitely a um, it's a consideration for every organisation as they start to think about talent acquisition and retention going forward. 
I think it's going to make decisions even more difficult in terms of where you choose to work because there is so much more on offer now in terms of opportunities and options. It's almost going to add more complexity, frankly, to, uh, to the future of work. But what, what do you see, Etienne, um, in the future, if you like, with your heart of a proper people and culture person? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I think it's going to be uh, certainly a blend of the working from home and, and going in the office. I actually think that the boundaries of that Monday to Friday will go. I think we've got seven days in the week. And I think to the to both Susan and Andre's point, I think flexibility is what's going to be required. And I think that, you know, given that we're living through it, um, in the Industrial Revolution 4.0, as it's being called, um, and the acceleration of technology. Um, as a knowledge-based culture, I think, you know, innovation happens at any time. So I think I just think that the, that people will, will want to choose the flexibility of delivering an output when it suits them. And I don't think it'll be restricted to a Monday to Friday thing. I actually absolutely agree with you. I think boundaries are certainly going to be blurred. And I think we are going to be much more reliant on outcomes and how we deliver results and outputs as opposed to, oh, this is just Monday to, to Friday. And I guess a final question, as we are reflecting on the last two years, what, what was your highlight in these two years, as difficult as they were, or your light bulb moment, for example? AGM starting with you, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think I think kind of taking it full circle back to Andre's initial point, I think it's pace of change. I think um, I think the pace of change, um, the the mindset shift that were, was needed and happened um, pretty rapidly, and and that adaptability um, and and um, ability to innovate during such challenging circumstances. I think that that's for me is kind of sums up the last two years. Yeah, fantastic. And and what about you, Susan? I'm going to take two things, uh, if I can. Um, the first one is I was so impressed by how much my team managed to achieve in this period. I think it's probably one of our most productive periods, you know, since I've um, been managing that team. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how we adapt now that we kind of have set that expectation of performance but now we bring back the commute and uh, those other things that reduce our ability to commit time to uh, to work but the thing that i thought was the most insightful was just getting to know people in a way that we hadn't before teams sort of opened this window into people's homes that we had never had before and the situation forced us all to be more open about what life is like for us at home um, and how we were coping so I feel as though I really know people better now than I did before. And that's true I've known you for quite a few years I've never seen the art behind you so. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about you Andre? I'm going to uh, follow Susan's example and pick two, if that's OK. Um, I think firstly, just a light bulb moment has been around being more aware and conscious of my time and maybe being a bit more guarded. I mean, having now not done the commute for, for such a long period, uh, I, I'm now much more thoughtful about the time I spend in the day and and realising if you know, like the opportunity cost that comes with not being around family and friends, etc. And I think the second piece actually was when we did start to go back to the office, just realising the energy I get from being around other people as well. And um, I think I'd really underestimated and forgotten that. 
Um, but I've really enjoyed having that again, and I think that's something that I, you know, will really value again going forward. Yeah, and that absolutely resonates with me. I've I've discovered myself that certainly we all have the need to connect with others, and and we kind of get from the energy that really helps us as well along the way. And whether we consciously or subconsciously realize that, it's not clear, but um, it, it's there, and we need to to reflect on it. Well, on that note. Thank you very much for joining the conversation today. It's been an absolute pleasure and I hope um, all our listeners found the conversation as insightful and as informative as I did. Certainly there are lots of things that we all need to think about, such as the role of technology, how we structure physical offices, what we need to learn and unlearn in terms of behaviours and, and what potentially mitigating controls we need to put in place in order to um, tackle risks that we're going to face in the new era of hybrid working. And of course, above all, how we maintain the culture of our teams and how we make sure that people are well and, and, and are going to be doing well. So thank you very much once again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you to all our listeners as well. To leave you with some more regulatory food for thought, we have recently published our UK Regulatory Handbook 2022, your one-stop shop for all key regulatory developments in the year ahead. You can also sign up to the Financial Services Regulatory Newsletter to receive weekly updates and invites into your inbox. To stay up to date with the upcoming episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Amazon Music. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll be back with our next episode to talk about other exciting topics of the risk and regulatory world. Thank you and goodbye.